let's get into Daniel. Can you, this picture here, okay, just this morning at about sort of like nine o'clock, I thought, oh, I'm just going to Google if there's an image of Nebuchadnezzar's dream. And then this great power, not, the, not all the words, but the images I found on a PowerPoint uh, this morning. So we're going to read the story in a moment about this dream that King Nebuchadnezzar had and what it means and everything like that. But Andy uh, started us off last week looking at the story of Daniel. And Daniel, it, it was a story of a man under incredible pressure to conform. And a story of a man under incredible pressure to think in the way that he was told to think and not in the way that God told him to think. It was an incredible story of, of pressure. And one of the reasons we're doing this is because in June, we're going to do a five-week series on sexuality. And so we just thought it would be really helpful to look at Daniel. Daniel, a man who stood up and said, no, this is what I believe is right. And now we're going to look at a series on, um, on sexuality. So just to give you a little bit of context and a, you know, what Andy sort of like talked about last week, about 600 years before Jesus was born, Is somebody rapping or is somebody... Oh, is it me? Is it me doing this? Again, why do I always do this? That was just embarrassing, Andy, doing a woo then. That was just I was embarrassed. <laughs> Is that better? I did that joke last time. Okay, no, no. So, uh, 600 years before Jesus was born, Nebuchadnezzar, who was the king of Babylon, um, the, and Babylon was the dominant, it was the superpower of the time. That is what was going uh, Babylon was the superpower. Uh, King Nebuchadnezzar, he wanted to sort of like to expand his territory, so he went to Jerusalem, he surrounded it, he besieged it, and he cut it a little bit like the Russians have done in some of the cities in, uh, in Ukraine. He surrounded it, cut off any sort of like routes in and out, and basically besieged them until they surrendered. When they surrendered, basically Nebuchadnezzar then kidnapped some of the kings and the queens, and the nobility, the key civil servants, and a whole bunch of really good, promising young leaders. And he took them off to Babylon, and he said, now I'm going to tell you how you really should think. They were, prom they were like serving God, they loved God, and then Nebuchadnezzar took them into Babylon and said, now nah, I'm going to tell you what to do. He wanted to obliterate their own culture, and he said, now nah, this is how really you should be thinking. He wanted to assimilate them into Babylonian thinking. Like Daniel wouldn't compromise. He wasn't going to have it. He wasn't going to lay down all his old culture of loving the Lord just to worship some god that some foreign nation told him he should worship. So we come to the passage of today, which is uh, Daniel, uh, Daniel chapter 2. And um, when we read some of these, I, I, forgive, I'm just going to point out a few things before we read it, okay? Because, just so we understand it, what? Stop moving. Okay, I'm just going to stand like this, only like this. King Nebuchadnezzar, had a dream, and it really disturbed him. He woke up in the night thinking, what was that all about? 
And so he summoned all these magicians and the people in witchcraft and these bunch of people called the Chaldeans, which was just a little tribe of Babylonia. And they were really well known for sorcery and witchcraft. He summoned them all together and he said, come, I need you to tell me what this dream was all about. So the Chaldeans, being sensible people, they said, okay, King Nebuchadnezzar, you tell us what the dream was and then we'll interpret it for you. It's fair enough, isn't it? I think, fair enough. What did King Nebuchadnezzar say? I don't think so. You've got to tell me what the dream was. And not only have you got to tell me what the dream was, you've got to interpret it. And not only that, if you don't, I'm going to tear you limb from limb and reduce your houses to rubble. So no pressure, no pressure. He had to tell them what the dream was and interpret it. The Chaldeans, surprisingly, were petrified. They started stalling. It's really worth reading. We're not going to read it because it'll take forever. It's really worth reading the passage because they said, oh, God, could you, Nebuchadnezzar, could you just give us another sort of like little bit of time? And Nebuchadnezzar says, I know what you're doing. You're just stalling. You're stalling for time. He got more and more furious. In the end, Nebuchadnezzar got so angry, he said this, right, that's it. I'm going to kill every supposed wise man in Babylon. All these people that are like pouncing around saying, yeah, we can do this, we can do that. No, you're up. You can't do any of it. So just get rid of a lot of them. That is where we get to in Daniel chapter 2 and verses 16. Daniel chapter 2. And I haven't put, I've only put something like a key verse up there. It's not, it's not all of it, Steve, okay? So just a key, but that's fine. Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show him the interpretation of the, the interpretation to the king. Then Daniel, but at this point, Daniel didn't know what the dream was or have an interpretation. Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, or as we also know, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. And he told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise man in Babylon. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals the deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise for you have given me wisdom and might. And now you have made known to me what we asked of you for you have made known to us the king's matter. Therefore, Daniel went in to Arok, who was the king's advisor, to whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went in and said thus to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king, and I will show him the interpretation of his dream. Daniel then goes and explains the dream, and he has, and Nebuchadnezzar had this dream. Um, where's the, have you got the picture of the actual have you seen that? Did you see that one before? Oh, okay, right. Uh, uh, no, that one there, yeah. So this is the picture. This is the, like, it's not the actual, it's not a photograph, obviously, but, it, uh, but it, this is what 
like Nebuchadnezzar had seen in his dream. And this is what Daniel said. No, and then he go, he's going to go into Nebuchadnezzar in a minute and explain it. But he'd seen this enormous statue made out of different materials. And this dream that Nebuchadnezzar had, that Daniel then saw, is basically he is prophesying four different empires that are going to come and go. Four different geopolitical empires, starting with Babylonians, and then the Persians, and then the Greeks, and then the Roman Empire. And this, in this statue, it starts with gold, and it all, and then it's sort of like gradually, you know, it gets down to the bottom where it's, the feet are made of clay and iron. And so it's just talking about that it's, something starts really well, and then it's sort of like it gets more and more fragile and more feeble and, uh, f- feeble and more vulnerable. And that is what um, Nebuchadnezzar dreamed, and that is what the, the uh, Daniel understood. And it's basically saying that a new kingdom, all these four kingdoms will be there, and then there will be a new kingdom that will emerge that will start small from a rock, and it will shatter all the other kingdoms, and it will last forever. It may sound a bit convoluted, but we'll go into it in a moment. When we read this next passage, look out for when it talks about a stone. You gotta, you gotta, that's the bit, that's the key bit, okay? Because it's, this is the picture that dream that Nebuchadnezzar had. Daniel said, I'm going to explain it to you. And he explains it to Nebuchadnezzar. Four kingdoms, blah, blah, blah. And then a stone will emerge that will shatter them all, that will last forever. Okay, we ready? Next bit. And this is the last, we're going to read uh, Daniel chapter 2, verses 31 uh, to the end of the chapter. This is Daniel saying to Nebuchadnezzar, You saw, O king, and behold, a great image. This image, mighty and of exceeding brightness, stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. The head of this image was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs from iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. And as you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand, and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces." And then the iron and the clay and the bronze and the silver and the gold all together were broken in pieces and became like chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream. And now we will tell the king its interpretation. You, O king, the king of kings, to whom God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power and the might and the glory, and into whose whose hand he has given, wherever they dwell, the children of man, the beasts of the field and the birds of the heavens, making you rule over all of them. You, Nebuchadnezzar, are the king of the head of gold. And another kingdom inferior to you shall rise after you. That's the Persian, Persian Median Empire. And then a third kingdom of bronze, which is the Greek empire, which shall rule over the earth. And then there shall be a fourth kingdom, which is the Roman Empire, strong as iron, because iron breaks to pieces and shatters all things. And like iron that crushes, it shall break and crush all of these. And as you saw the feet and the toes, partly of the potter's clay and partly of iron, it shall be a divided kingdom, but some of the firmness of iron shall be it, just as you saw iron mixed with a soft clay. And the toes of the feet, this is just explaining the thing And the toes of their feet were partly iron and partly clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle. And as you saw the iron mixed with soft clay, so they will mix with one another in marriage, but they will not hold together, just as iron does not mix with clay. And in these days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed. 
nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break into pieces all these kingdoms and bring them all to an end. And it shall stand forever, just as you saw that stone that was cut by a mountain by no human hand, and that it broke into pieces the pieces of iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold. A great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. This dream is certain, and its interpretation sure. Then, when he heard all of this, Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face and paid homage to Daniel and commanded that an offering and incense be offered to him. And the king answered and said to Daniel, Truly your God is the God of gods and the, king, and the Lord of kings and the revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal to me this great mystery. And then it goes on to say, <clears throat> Daniel was promoted. And it goes on. The key to understanding how Daniel, in the face of such pressure was able to stand up and still be true to who God was. All this pressure was understanding this, that Daniel had an extraordinary view of the sovereignty of God. We're going to look at a few practical things in a moment, but we have to know, first of all, that Daniel understood, and this was, remember, 600 years before Jesus was born, that at some point, God's kingdom was going to come and break and it would supersede every other kingdom that there was. It would shatter all those other kingdoms. Did you know we're not actually speaking Babylonian this morning? Just as a little bit of a reminder. But we're not. Because that kingdom, it just, it went. It faded away. But they were talking about worshipping God and we are still now talking about this the kingdom of God that keeps going. So before we do that, before we look into that, what are some of the other little things that really, really drove Daniel. Uh, if we can go on to the next one, um, Steve, that'd be really helpful. Just the first thing is this, that Daniel, he just lived as an exile. Daniel was deeply, deep, when he'd been taken away into Babylon from Jerusalem, he was deeply embedded in, in Babylonian culture. He mixed with really important people. He served loyally. He was included in that group of wise men and he was respected. He was like, he was really in that culture, wasn't he? He, he, was, he was being used in there. But he refused to compromise. And of all the things, I would so love to be that man. Deeply embedded in a godless culture, but refusing to compromise on what I believed. How did he do it? That has got to be one of the most amazing things. If, we, if you and I could do that. just Can I just ask, put your hands up if you live in a culture or a community or a workplace or, or a country where sometimes godly values are not valued. Well, yeah, just all the time. <laughs> that is what our lives are. We feel we're battling something. But somehow Daniel did it. He stayed true to what God had called him to do. He was in Babylon, but he wasn't of Babylon. He'd somehow been able to stay distinct. He knew that his home was elsewhere. Do you know what? Many of us in the church here in Trinity have a history and a heritage outside of the UK. We may have been born somewhere else. We have family that have come from other. But I, I would hope that by and large that, that we're, we're all in the UK because like, more or less we want to be here. You know, like we've made a choice to be here. And so we might look back into our home nation or our, where our heritage is and think, oh, we, have, we have to look with great affection there. But imagine what it would be like if it, if it wasn't your choice. If you were just like picked up and brought here by force. And you're thinking, I don't want to be 
in Collindale right now. I want to be back in my home nation. And if that is the case, do you know, I, I think you would live as an exile. Do you know what I mean? You would be, th- you'd be here right now in Collindale in northwest London and doing stuff, but you'd, your heart would be somewhere else. And you know, that is what Daniel did. He was in Babylon because he was taken there. He had to be there. But his heart was still somewhere else. He was an exile somewhere else. And you know, even that, even that is true for us. You know that there's a, a verse in, in Hebrews that says, you know, uh, this isn't our home. But we have a home somewhere else. I really love my home. Yesterday, Jill and I, we had a really lovely time just sitting in the sun in our garden. I love, I love my home. But that is not really my home. I'm looking for a home somewhere else. And I want to live my life now. No, actually, I'm going to have a home with Jesus. That, that is my real home. And Daniel lived in an exile like that. I think the one thing about just standing, like standing firm for who you are, I always remember when, when we launched the, the Christians Against Poverty Debt Center and we went up to Barnet Council and we had this meeting. Andy was like, was leading the, the debt center at the time and, and we, we launched this, this thing and there were all these politicians there and local councillors and everybody was there. And they were all talking about Christians Against Poverty. And, and, I, and I think, I wonder sometimes, if I had started Christians Against Poverty, I wouldn't have called it Christians Against Poverty. I would have called it nice, fluffy people against poverty. I don't know. I might have called it something like that. But I might not have said Christians Against And then they had all these politicians were saying, no, it's Christians Against Poverty are doing this. And, and almost they were thinking, oh, no, we... They, we were being clear. Christians Against Poverty started with this clear... No, it's, we, this is who we are. We're not ashamed of who we are. This is who we are. Daniel was deeply embedded. He was deeply respected. He was really like, in the system and he was, like, was honoured within the system. But he wasn't afraid to say, no, but this is who I am. He was living without compromise as a follower of the Lord. I think all of us have to find our own way uh, to do that, you know? We can't copy one person and say, that's how we do it. So just for example, just rec- I don't know if you listened to the link uh, that Tim did on talk radio, and uh, when he was interviewed with, by James Whale, I think there's another link that I maybe need to, to but James Whale, who, you know, I don't know if you know, J- does anybody know James Whale on talk radio? Yeah, we, he's, he's like quite an abrasive character. And basically, his, it's like his radio show is built on being able to offend people. That's what he does. And he, you know, he just, he'll wind up anybody at all. But then Tim goes on there and talks about what it is you know, to be a Christian. Is there a God? And he, he's a committed atheist, this guy, James Well. Now, when I listen to Tim doing that, I think, God bless Tim doing that. But please don't call me to do that. <laughs> Because when James Earl was like really sort of like trying to wind up Tim and be offensive, I would just react to that. And I was like, how dare you say that? Well, you're a, you're a big, you know, but I would just react to it. And I, but God somehow gift, gifted Tim to think, okay, I'm going to ignore all the personal insults, including, I don't know if he did it on purpose of calling Mr. Mr. Dieppe, but I thought that was quite funny. I would call it, if he said that, I would call him Mr. Hole or something like that, you know, but anyway. But, but, but 
each one of us has got to find our own way to say, no, I am not going to compromise in who I am in my faith. That I couldn't do that, but there are other ways that when I'm talking with my friends, I think, no, I absolutely do not want to compromise who I am. I'm going to be resolute in standing up for Jesus. It's not hard. It's not difficult. Okay, we're going to go quite quickly. Next one. Uh, the, the next thing is just to, to let you know, uh, Daniel worked, worked in a team. He had these guys, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. How did the four of them to come together? Why, did, why are these four always noted together? I think that they basically coalesced around defiance. They, I think they were a whole group of them, and then they thought, oh, us four, we, we're the ones that really want to stand firm. And I think they, then, they just got, then they became mates, I guess. And all I'd say is that it's really, uh, I'm skipping some things, but it's really, really important to be able to do life really well together. I just want to encourage you to do that. And I know that there are some small groups in the church that are meeting and they are just re- working really, really well. But I just need to let you know, actually, there are some, I'd encourage you to take a risk and say to somebody, can we meet and have dinner? Or can we meet and pray together? Can we meet and read the Bible together? And some, we, we, we do need to actually do a little bit of work on our, on our small groups as a church. That is something we're acutely aware of, just so you know. But I just encourage, do life well with people. Get with people that you agree with and encourage and like encourage encourage them. Number, the second, the third thing that I want to do is this, that um, how Daniel actually knew, can everybody see that okay? Is it behind the thingies? It's behind the thingies. Sorry about that. I'll put it up. But it, but it says, the third thing is that Daniel saw solutions through worship. He said, I'm going to seek the mercy of God. And then he, he went away with his friends and they just sought after God. And, and all I say is that sometimes we have issues in life and we think, God, you have to do this, and you have to do this, and you have to do this, and you have to do this. And sometimes God says to you, yep, I want you to worship me. And then we come back and say, yep, and I want you to do this, and this, and this, and this. And God says, yeah, but I really want you to worship me. And we can, yeah, and I want you to do this, and this, and this, and this. And the picture is this, that sometimes we really want God to do this, this, and this. And God really, really wants us to worship him. And, you know, I, I think time and time again, we have seen that we have our own agenda, we want God to do stuff, and what God really wants to do is say, just come and worship me. Please, just come and worship me. And there are numerous moments in Scripture where God ambushes his, his people's enemies because they worship him. And I just encourage you to do that. And it's not actually about singing, and it's not about worship, like as brilliant as these guys were and leading worship. It's not about that. It's not about the music. It's about our hearts turning to God and saying, is the solution to this issue in you? That's the, that's the point. You know, on, on Friday morning, we had our, our, our prayer meeting, and, and anybody's welcome to come and join our prayer meeting at 6.30 in the morning. You'll, you just need to know, anyone is welcome at the centre, if you want to. So people are saying, yeah, right, I'm not being there. Anyway, you're welcome. And it, we, we, I think we'd got into a bit of a practice of habit of saying, what do we want to pray about? And when we'd start talking about it all and say this, this, and this. But this week, we just came back and said, no, we're going to lay all of that down. And we're just going to worship and see what God does. And I think sometimes he just changes our perspective. Where do you need breakthrough today? I'd encourage you this evening to worship. Turn the telly off. 
put your phone down, sit in silence, I know it's scary, and just say, Jesus, I'm going to look to you for the answers. And then lastly, so I just, just want to mention that the reason that Daniel was so strong, and we need, in the coming chapters, we're going to face these moments where Daniel, they try to burn him alive. This isn't just a little bit of pressure, just so you know. This isn't just a little bit of, oh, it's going to be awkward. <laughs> you know. No, they said to Daniel, we are going to burn you alive. So at one point, there'd have been a fire, and then his hair would have singed, and then he's, you know, I mean, we're talking the reality. And then in the coming chapters we're going to read in the, the weeks to come, there's a moment where actually Daniel was put into this cage of deadly predators who probably had been starved. These lions had probably been starved to make them a little bit more aggy. Somebody comes in. You know, th this was the pressure that Daniel was under. As long as we think it's difficult, but he stood firm. And then just lastly to finish, this was the key, I think the key reason why Daniel was able to be so resolute is because he had this amazing understanding of the sovereignty of God, that God is in control. All of these other empires, you know, the massive empires, you think about Babylonian, we don't know an awful lot about Babylonian and the Mede, uh, the Persian Empire, but we, we, we know, actually we know a lot about the Persian Empire, but then the Greek Empire and the Roman, they're massive things, massive empires. Did you know that one of the seven wonders of the world, seven wonders of the ancient world was the hanging, bar uh, hanging baskets of Babylon. That would be better, wouldn't it? The, the hanging gardens of Babylon. And look it up on YouTube. Obviously, it's you know, from drawings and from plant. You know, you could, they, people have made it. But there are these phenomenal things. You're in this culture and think, this culture is amazing. It's amazing. But Daniel knew this, that God's kingdom was going to be better and it was going to last a lot longer. The political and cultural and military power of Babylon was immense. But now it is gone. And God's kingdom remains. And so God turned the heart of an evil tyrant, Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of the passage we read, it said, Nebuchadnezzar turned to the Lord. And he said, clearly, yours is, yours is the living God. He turned this man around. Because Daniel stayed true. He stayed true. He knew that God's kingdom would outlast every other kingdom. So as we face, I read something in the paper yesterday, on Friday, sorry, and it said, a world war is more imminent. Just, you know, we live in, we live in, you know, there are, we have to be clear that we live in some alarming times. We just need to pray that it won't happen. But actually there are there are pressures coming in on all sides. We carry things that we're thinking, God, what are you going to do? That we have situations in our own personal life. But we have to remember this. God's kingdom will never end. Jesus will come again and restore all things. This is not my home. As much as I love my home, it is not my home. My home is somewhere else. Daniel's trust in the sovereignty of God fueled his refusal to compromise. I'm going to finish. Daniel lived as an exile, worked in a team, saw solutions in worship, 
and knew that God's kingdom would never end. What I'm going to do is I'm just going to ask you to stand in a moment and we're just going to pray that the Holy Spirit would come and fill us, that we would have this absolute, resolute understanding that the kingdom of God is never going to end. Is that okay? Can I just ask you to stand? Heavenly Father, Jesus, we thank you that even though this account in Babylon took place 600 years before you were born, it still predicted your birth. That you, Jesus, were the stone that no man had crafted that came and smashed all other empires. And we think about the empires in this image, but we think about the empires in our own lives now, in our culture today. We think about the empires that loom large in our thinking. And I just ask, Holy Spirit, would you come and flood into our lives right now? Please, come and fill us. We we pray that we would be Daniel-like in our defiance. Daniel-like in our refusal to compromise. Not out of choice, but because what we've understood of you, Lord. What we've grasped of who you are and of what you have done and what is to come, O Lord. And we look forward to that day. We so look forward to that day. And I pray, Lord, that as we look forward to that day, it would change us now, O God. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would come and minister to us that in every situation that we find ourselves, at university, at work, at home, with our communities, with our families, God, help us to know that your kingdom is coming again. That we would be so strong in you. Holy Spirit, come Holy Spirit. I pray that we wouldn't try and copy anybody else that uniquely we would be the men and women that you've called us to be, delighting in you, O Lord. Father, thank you. Yeah, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit.